The Holy Gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to Matthew. Glory to you, Lord Christ. Jesus left that place and went away to the district of Tyre and Sidon. Just then, a Canaanite woman from the region came out and started shouting, Have mercy on me, Lord, son of David. My daughter is tormented by a demon. But he did not answer her at all. And his disciples came and urged him, saying, Send her away, for she keeps shouting after us. He answered, I was sent only to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. But she came and knelt before him, saying, Lord, help me. He answered, It is not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. She said, Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from their master's table. Then Jesus answered her, Woman, great is your faith. Let it be done for you as you wish. And her daughter was healed instantly. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Christ. I'm going to ask you to remain standing for just a minute while we engage in a little exercise. If you don't already have it, pick up your bulletin and turn to page nine. And you will see in the middle of the page, excuse me, page seven. Yeah, the eyes are that way. Uh, page seven, you'll see in the middle, we've got the Kyrie eleison printed. The Kyrie is, is, uh, is what we say often during Lent in, in uh, place of the uh, song of praise. And I would like for us to say the Kyrie together. Now, Kyrie eleison, Christe eleison, Kyrie eleison is the Greek and is translated as God have mercy, or Lord have mercy, Christ have mercy, Lord have mercy. I want us to say it together, but first, I'm going to ask everybody here to think of that moment, that one moment, and we've all had that moment in our lives, when we most felt we needed God's help. And I want us to say the Kyrie together with that frame of mind. And we'll say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Kyrie eleison. Christe eleison. Kyrie eleison. Now please be seated. I wanted us to engage in this exercise because when we say the Kyrie, with that frame, uh, that mindset of most needing God's help, we place ourselves in the very position of the woman who encounters Jesus in today's gospel lesson. We place our pos- ourselves in the position of profound pain. It may be physical pain. In this woman's situation, it was more emotional and spiritual pain, pain for her daughter who is possessed by a demon. It is a place of utter desperation, that place where we look anywhere and everywhere in hope of finding some help. And it is in that mindset that we say, and she says in today's lesson, essentially this, Lord, have mercy. And in response, Jesus ignores her. Ignores her. 
doesn't even respond to her. And we have to think, don't we? Don't we really have to think, how can this be? This is Jesus who we like to think, who I have said many times from this very spot, is the embodiment of God's love. He ignores her. Now, we can say many things about this woman, and one thing I think is undeniable is that she's got chitzpah. She didn't give up. Instead, she comes and kneels before him and looks up pleadingly, Lord, have mercy. And this time, finally, Jesus does not ignore her. Instead, instead, he insults her. He calls her a dog. Now, that's not a nice thing to say to anybody, is it? But it was particularly unpleasant, particularly an insult in the first century. You know, for us, by and large, dogs are pets, right? In that day and age, there were some domesticated dogs, but the vast majority were wild, untamed, vicious, mean, nasty, smelly critters. And that's what Jesus chooses to call her. And then she still refuses to give up, and she utters the famous line about even the crumbs falling from the table for the dogs. And in that moment, in that instance, it is Jesus who is changed. It is Jesus who is transformed. And he grants her wish. He, he grants his healing miracle, and the child is no longer demon-possessed. Now, if we're going to do justice to this passage, to this story, I think there are two questions that we have to address. The first is this, what does this story tell us about the nature of Jesus? And the second question is, what application does this story have in our own lives? Well, to approach the question of the nature of Jesus, I think we have to keep in mind our confession about Christ, our pro proclamation that we make every Sunday that Jesus is at the same time fully, completely divine and also fully, completely human. Now, with respect to this human dimension, I am confident that Jesus always had a relationship, a special relationship with God. One of my favorite contemporary theologians, Keith Ward, I think, says it remarkably well. He says that there was always a dissoluble unity between the human mind of God, excuse me, the human mind of Jesus, and the being of God. And I have no doubt that's correct. At the same time, if we, if we look at the, the breadth, the scope of the Gospels, I think we can see that, that Jesus' understanding of his own divinity evolved over time. And it is this evolution of Jesus' understanding that explains a couple of things today. It explains how it is that it wasn't until his encounter with this woman that Jesus recognized that he has been sent not to preach just to the lost sheep of Israel, 
but also to the entire world. And it also explains how it is that Jesus can be taught, be transformed, if you will, by this encounter with this woman. And this last point is incredibly encouraging to me. Think about it. If Jesus, in the midst of his ministry, can grow, can learn, can be transformed, then that means there's hope for me. I, even at this age, I can continue to learn and to grow spiritually. Okay, but what about the second question? That's cool. What about the second question? What does it mean for you and me in August, sweltering August 2023? Well, I think it goes to those times in our own lives when we encounter people who say to us, Lord, have mercy. Now, if you're like me, nobody has ever really approached you and looked you in the eye and said, Lord, have mercy in that sense. But if you're like me, you also can really recount countless times that people have communicated, Lord, have mercy to us in so many ways by facial expression, by body language, by the the mere circumstances in which they exist. We hear, Lord, have mercy when we encounter the homeless man on the street downtown. We hear, Lord, have mercy when we encounter the single mother who can't find a job and really can't provide for her young child. We hear, Lord, have mercy mercy when we encounter the elderly couple living alone, who's all whose friends and neighbors, relatives, everybody they had a relationship with has passed on or left, and they're living in near poverty and living really in profound loneliness. We hear, Lord, have mercy when we encounter the student, the very bright young student who unfortunately is living with a family whose family doesn't have the resources to provide them with the tools to accomplish all that they can in school. And so many other instances, we encounter people who scream at us, Lord, have mercy. And how are we to respond? Let's face it. Our initial response, our default, if you will, is to think, let me help this person financially with some money. And that's a good thing. It's something we do, and it's something we need to continue to do. But I want to suggest today, it's not all we can do. It's not all we should do. Today's gospel lesson suggests that in addition to maybe financial resources, we take the time to listen to this person who says, Lord, have mercy to us. The importance, the impact of listening was driven home to me dramatically in a very short documentary I saw a while back, not too long ago. It's a 15-minute documentary. It's essentially a series of interviews. The title of this little documentary is Keepers of the House. And it's a set of interviews of people who are, whose profession is environmental service specialist at the Duke 
hospital. They are the housekeepers at the Duke University hospitals. They are the ones who clean the rooms of the patients. Based on your viewing of this, of this video, these interviews, you'd, there's no discussion of their education, but you'd have to, to speculate that they probably, all of them have no more than a high school education. These are people who are largely invisible to the therapists and nurses and doctors, those who have far more education, training, and experience. The, these housekeepers are invisible to those healthcare providers, really. And yet, these modestly educated housekeepers have a profound impact on the health and recovery of patients. You see, they, they are with the patients when the doctors and the nurses and the therapists aren't around, and that's crucial because at those times, the patients don't need to be in fear of being interrogated by the doctors one more time, of being poked and prodded by the doctors, of being jabbed by the therapists and the nurses with needles and other instruments. They can let their guard down a little bit. And these housekeepers, they will, they will sometimes perform tasks for the, for the patients. They'll fluff a pillow or retrieve a book from across the room. But mostly and most importantly, what they do is they talk with the patients. They take some time to talk to them. And it is in those times that they talk that they get to know these patients, particularly ones who are there for weeks and days and weeks on end. They get to know these patients. They develop a relationship. And it is here that healing occurs. And what this, what this documentary drives home is, of all of this interaction, the most important thing that these housekeepers do is listen. Listen to the stories that these patients have to tell because in listening, there is profound power. One of the uh, interviewees that really caught my attention is a, uh, appears to be a middle-aged African-American lady named Hilda. And Hilda put it beautifully. Hilda's being interviewed and she's looking at the interviewer and and we don't hear the question, we just hear the comment. Hilda says, well, you've got to understand, you've got to take those few minutes and then as if she senses the importance of what she's about to say, she turns and looks directly into the camera and leans forward. You've got to understand, you've got to take those few minutes to listen to them. Because most of the time, that's all they want. They want to be listened to. And what's amazing is this profound power in listening is healing for the person who is speaking. And it also is profoundly impactful and healing to the listener. And I think this disconnect between listening and not listening is seen in today's gospel lesson. When this woman, this unnamed woman, first approaches Jesus, it's clear when we look at it 
Jesus is paying no attention to her. He's not listening to her. It's just noise, and so he doesn't respond. He's still not really listening to her when she comes and begs to him, and he he offers this dismissive insult. And we can't you just see it? When the third time she speaks, and she makes this profound statement about the crumbs falling off the table, you can just see Jesus for the first time turning and actually seeing the woman, actually listening to the woman. And both of their lives are changed. The story and this documentary illustrate, I think, for us that when we encounter those people who say, Lord, have mercy, God calls on us, Jesus calls on us to take those few minutes, as Hilda says, and listen to them. And in doing so, healing can begin. They will be transformed, and so will we. And there's another benefit, too. So often when we are approached by people who somehow are saying, Lord, have mercy to us, we're wondering, what can I do? We need wonder no more. Because if we listen, if we hear their stories, then we will know what to do. In the name of God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Amen.